welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 203 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Susan Wright of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom on headlines in the news. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody. Hey, man, what do you know? I know that I don't know if I got all my shopping done, all my gifts done, or not. Yeah, well, it's a little late now. I know. I'm waiting for somebody to find me. (laughs) Well. I I do that every year. Somebody gets left off of the extended family. Yeah, it's kind of like a message, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, And they'll show up at my house with a bag, and it's a horrible feeling. Oh, well. You know, life. Friends of family, friends of family. So we have a lot more serious subject on the show tonight. Yes, we do. Woody, we have Susan Rott with the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom on the phone with us. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, this is starting to turn into our annual event now uh, on the Christmas show. You show up every year now. And, you know, we kind of review what, what happened in the last year and what's in the spotlight. And, of course, this year the spotlight is rather large on people that are doing non-consensual bad things to people and, and losing their jobs in high profiles. It is an epidemic, but unfortunately I think it's actually something that's been going on for a long time and it just hasn't been talked about until this year. Finally, what what's happening is people are coming forward and saying that the sexual harassment and sexual assault has happened to them by powerful men, they're finally being believed. These companies are dealing with it. So this is certainly something we've never really seen before in mainstream society. The decisions are quick. Uh, You know, take Matt Lauer. You know, uh, he was on the news the night before, and the morning he's gone. Very quick decisions. That was interesting because uh, the rest of his team didn't even know it was happening. Right. They, They knew minutes before they went on the air, which... I think it's kind of interesting because um, through all this, you're getting to see other people's reactions and you're being able, they're modeling um, in a lot of cases, really good behavior. For example, saying, you know, this person is a really good friend, but they did bad things. And I, I really support the people that have come out, our colleagues who've come out and who have said something. And I think that that is the first step when somebody's trying to talk about a consent violation or sexual harassment is to group that information, to take it in, to not battle it immediately, and allow them to present the information that they have. Um, so often when it's somebody who's powerful, or if it's, you know, if we can make the analogy to the kink community, if it's, you know, somebody we know who's running a, a, um, a group, our instinct is to just say, no, we, we don't know that about that person, um, especially somebody like Matt Lauer, who, you know, we welcome into our homes every morning. I mean, that's part of the whole morning show mystique is that these people are friends of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is that initial reaction of this can't be, that you have to open up your your mind and and listen. And it seems like that's what these businesses are doing. And they've listened and they've heard the evidence and 
they're taking action. And they're taking action against essentially their cash cow. Um, you know, Lauer was the, the top draw to NBC. Charlie Rose was a, a high draw to CBS. And uh, even uh, Bill, what's his name? Bill O'Reilly. Oh, O'Reilly. Definitely. He was a, a financial leader. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but part of it is is because I think advertisers are moving on this. Advertisers pull out. Um, when uh, they hear these stories. And I think that the economic impact of the advertisers listening to individuals saying, we don't want you to be supporting this, is really what's kind of forcing these um, businesses to actually do something, which I think, again, you can make the analogy to the kink community in terms of when the attendees of an event here that a presenter is coming who is known to have committed to a consent violation, they can pressure the event to say, you know, we don't like this, we don't want this. And events are standing up increasingly over the past few years um, and not allowing people to present or volunteer or be on staff and in some cases even attend the event, depending on the severity of the consent violation. So it really is the people speaking out that's having the impact and making the reaction happen. Susan, I have to be kind of the voice uh, here of of concern that uh, it's great that we're getting these stories out and so forth, but we're uh, in many cases we're moving forward on accusations and uh, without facts. Do you think this has a potential backlash at some point? Well, um, I think that we might not see all the facts, but that doesn't mean that, that there aren't facts that are being presented. Um, NCSF, for example, helps groups in dealing with consent violations. And we have um, advice, how to evaluate a consent violation, questions to ask. You know, like, what did you negotiate? What were your limits? You know, did anybody witness this? Did, did anybody withdraw consent at any time? And when you actually do ask, you know, both people involved, you can get a pretty good sense of what happened. And... So you, you do the initial investigation that way, and then you kind of evaluate it for, like we suggest five different things to look at, um, like the seriousness of it. Was it just, you know, an unwanted hug? Or was it something that caused a physical injury that, you know, somebody actually had to get first aid for? You know, what was the intent behind? Was it an accident? Or was it something that was done deliberately or, or a manipulation? And NCSF always points to multiple accusations. You know, sometimes you can't get to the bottom of everything. But if you have, you know, two or three or four people coming and saying, describing a kind of a pattern of predation, um, and often predators have a pattern, uh, and that pattern shows up again and again no matter who they're with because it really doesn't matter who they're with. It's they're doing it for themselves. And so you can spot that pattern, and that in itself is very telling. And then, of course, there's confession. A lot of people will admit what they've done, and we need to take people at their word when they admit that they've violated somebody's consent. And, you know, often it's an apology, but it's still an admission, and we need to take that as um, at face value. So I think there are ways that you can get to the facts without having to go to the police and have a, a court case, actually. Which is a case with Al, Al Franken, where he uh, admitted his sophomoric behavior. Yeah, he did. Very unwelcomed advances by Miss Tweeden. So, but then we get the Garrison Keeler 
which uh, falls almost in that unwanted hug category. He claims he was consoling her and reached around and touched her back, and she was wearing a, a blouse that had no back. We hear what he said. We're still waiting to hear what all she said and how this goes. And so it's a fine line between consoling, hugging, and blatant sexual misconduct. You know, I agree. I think that when you put your arm around somebody, when you're in a situation like that, that's a mitigating circumstance. I think that's completely different from, like, uh, Louis C.K., who was just whipping his penis out in front of people who <laughs> came yeah. to talk to him. I mean, that's why you have to look at the severity of the incident. So many of them are whipping it out uh, and just being naked in front of non-willing people. And I, I don't think I understand that. Yeah, it's their kink, and I shouldn't be judgmental. Well, you know, it's funny. I just did a interview with the Huffington Post last month, and, you know, the reporter was asking the same thing. She was interpreting it as a kink, the fact that um, men were exposing themselves to women. And I don't think it's necessarily a kink. I think what's happened is HR departments have drilled into people, don't touch without permission. So for some of them, they think, well, I'm not touching you know, I'm touching myself, I'm not touching them, and if they don't say no, then I'm okay. I think it's kind of um, one of the steps. We see that with Harvey Weinstein, the same thing, where he'll he'll take steps to see if the um, person would protest and, and defend their boundaries. And again, we can kind of take this to the kink community. We see it with uh, violating social boundaries, where, okay, an unwanted hug in and of itself is not a terrible thing for in some individuals it may be feel like a terrible thing but for other people can look at that and go oh that's no big deal but if that's being used as a way to test somebody to see if they defend their boundaries sometimes they go from the unwanted hug to the unwanted touch to then the you know repeated questioning over and over again do you want to play do you want to play the pressuring and um, sometimes that's how boundaries are tested, and people who do not defend their boundaries are the ones that are kind of picked out as, okay, we're going to go forward, and I'm going to try to play with this person because I know when I get them in a vulnerable position, they won't be able to defend their boundaries. And then sometimes a day or two will go by, and you know they feel ashamed, whatever. They feel submissive. Mm. And a couple days later, they feel bad about it and then ring the bell. Exactly. Um, uh, when we did our consent violation survey, we found that a significant fraction, a quarter to one third, didn't realize at first that they had been violated, that their consent had been violated. It, was, it, it took them a few days of thinking about it and thinking about what they had said was their limits or thinking about the fact that they had said no or given their safe worth. And yet they were being so manipulated that it took them having to get out of that headspace, that submissive headspace and get some, you know, distance on the issue, which tells you how hard it is to report sexual assault. You know, if sexual assault is predominantly 90% happening by a person that you know, and there's these sorts of manipulation happening and coercion happening, which I think is what we're seeing with these high-profile um, celebrities who are being called on it, you know, they were able to get away with stuff. Um, they had access that other people wanted. They had jobs that were dependent on these people. So there's all this coercive element in there, and I think it really just comes down to the fact if somebody is a boss or is a high-powered person, they have to be that much more careful 
about how they perceive um, in sexual circumstances. Um, I, uh, one of these people I seem to remember had said something about he thought he was pursuing mutual interest. Might have been Charlie Rose, and it's like, but you know, if you've got all this power, you know, people might be interested in you for other reasons than <laughs> than personal sexual reasons. And when you kind of flip the script and suddenly start taking advantage of that sexually, um, I know that in our society, that's always kind of been considered a perk of power that you get, you know, women's bodies. Um, and I think that we need to start thinking about it differently. I've uh, talked to some people in higher education, and they say that Title IX violations this year have shot through the roof. Reported Title IX violations. I don't know if we have any more Title IX violations. But they're being reported They're now. being reported. Susan, what do you think this means for society and our culture in a larger sense? I don't think that there's any, any man that is going to be immune to subclaim as subpoint of a violation. Well, I think that it's a reckoning moment. And I think that, you know, 10 years ago, I can't remember, I think maybe it was Katie Couric was talking about how Matt Lauer would always pinch her butt. And that was like public information. Nobody cared. Yeah, ha-ha, I guess. Nowadays, that's considered just absolutely outrageous that he was doing that. So I think what's happening is we're having this reckoning. Um, people may have done things in the past that were considered, you know, acceptable, um, in some form, uh, uh, understandable because they're powerful people and they're able to get away with it. And now, hopefully, what we're doing is we're drawing a line now and saying, this isn't acceptable moving forward. And so people are having their, um, they're having to deal with what they did in the past. So yeah, in some ways, it's, I'm sure it's surprising. I'm sure it's shocking for these people to have to be dealing with this. I'm sure it was shocking for Bill Cosby. Um, but then now it's almost quaint. We look at the Bill Cosby case where he, admit, oh, sure, I gave women quaaludes to kind of loosen them up. And, <laughs> and and he felt perfectly fine admitting that in a court case. And everybody goes, are you kidding me? No, he's just saying it tells you how the, the times change and attitudes change. They do. And what was acceptable once is different. Take the case of Matt Lauer and Katie Couric. They're both high-profile individuals on NBC News. They... Uh, you know, whether Matt outranked her or not, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But they, you know, it was all fun and games for a while until she rang the bell. It's just such a fascinating subject. And I think part of it is because we saw this happening in the kink community. It started back in 2012 where we started having our reckoning. And we really started talking about these issues that, that were happening and figuring a way out how to self-police our own community. Because unfortunately, you know, whereas it's really hard to get sexual assault um, prosecuted at all, it's almost impossible when it's in a kink context. I mean, if you let somebody tie you up and then they penetrate you without your permission, if you go to the police, oftentimes they'll say, well, what did you expect? You let him tie you up. Of course he's going to do that. So we need to to work harder on making sure that people within our community events and groups understand that that's not acceptable. And we also, on the other side, have to try to convince the um, legal system that this needs to change. So that's what NCSF has been working on very actively for the past years, our American um, Law Institute project, to decriminalize PDSM, but also to help people 
be able to report assault if they need to. And how's that project going? It's going very well. Our pro bono attorney, who's been helping NCSF out, um, was accepted to the American Law Institute. So they're working on revising the model penal code on sexual assault. And so we've been contributing information to them to help them be able to put in the model penal code uh, a description of, you know, what is consent. Um, that was very big. The model penal code on sexual assault didn't have a definition of what consent is. And we also wanted to work with them in terms of um, how do you give permission for restraint or use of force? I mean, how do you do BDSM and have it stay within the law? And I think that it's actually pretty easy. You have to discuss things first, uh, either in writing or in person. You actually have to decide what it is that you're going to do, the opt-in. We're going to do these three things, banking, flogging, and, you know, a little name-calling. And then anything that happens outside of that is non-consensual and could be prosecuted as sexual assault. And we also want to get in there. You have to have a way to stop it at any time. Um, even people who are in long-term relationships, you know, master-slave relationships, the law will never be able to accept true slavery um, in terms of you can't give up your consent to somebody else. So even master-slave relationships have to grapple with what do we do when the slave really does withdraw consent to either a certain activity or to the entire relationship? There has to be a way to be able to deal with that and either maintain the same relationship, master-slave relationship, or get out of it in a way that is not harmful to anyone. And this is one of the things that we talked about back in our episode 201, which is our BDSM nightmares. And we have six stories that withdrew consent during uh, the play, and it was ignored, and it went very badly. And so that is something that is certainly a good listen. Uh, go back a few weeks, and it's episode 201. The last story in it was given by a person because she died, and it was reported through uh, police records and uh, the press. So this is a very hard-to-listen-to uh, accounting of what happened in the last four hours of this woman's life. And it really makes you sit up and think that consent, and we've had episodes on affirmative consent, make sure that if you say sex, it's yes, sex, as opposed to, well, you know, we, we played and then it seemed right. That, that is not affirmative in any way. And you don't renegotiate after a play session because you're high on endorphins and everything else. So important things. Very important things. And it is very sad um, that anybody has to go through an experience where they withdraw consent and then that's not respected. And I think we have to look at our own culture for, you know, why is that happening? How can we stop it? Um, that's why NCSF has been going around the country for years now, giving our consent discussions. And it's really a consciousness raising about consent because we believe that people need to sit down and actually voice what's happened to them and to hear their friends and the people in their community talk about things that have happened to them so that we're all understanding. We're not closing the door to not hearing this because we don't agree with it and because we think that's not real BDSM. Well, we need to really like shine a harsh light on these things and bring it out and um, look at how we can do things better as a community. The case of Roy Moore. 
horrible accusations. But for all intents and purposes, for the next 30-some years, he lived a model existence. How far back do we go? You know, I'm I'm not sure how far back we end up going. Um, I think that if anybody is still in a position of power, I think it's fair game to look at what's happened in their lives. Um, We have the longest sitting senator right now who's been accused um, of doing things. And he's, you know, 80-something. So... But he's still in a position of power. And so I think that's why Al Franken, I think it's great that he, he's got the ethics committee that can actually do an investigation and really look at this. It's unfortunate that people like President Trump, there is no mechanism in place where we could actually investigate this. It would take somebody coming forward and trying to sue him for calling them a liar, basically, for that to move forward. So, I mean, it might be messy and it might be, be hard um, but I think it's something that we do need to do and we do need to look at. Certainly, if somebody's out of a position of power, if they're not able to influence public policy, they don't have a celebrity position where their their voice is respected, um, you know, perhaps that is time to, to lay that aside. But for things like Bill Cosby, you know, his show is still running. It was kind of a, an affront to all the women that he'd done this to, to know that his show was still out there and he was still being considered, you know, the father of television in some way. On the flip side, though, uh, we have many cases where people make bad decisions early in life. Uh, I could think of, for example, adult film film stars that did decide to try a, another career such as teaching or uh, nursing or so forth and they get shut out of their careers. I think when somebody's discriminated against because they were in a sexual, you know, career, like uh, they were an adult entertainment person, and then they try to go on and and do something different. I don't think that's right. Um, I think that if somebody did commit a consent violation while they were doing that, like we have James Dean was accused of many consent violations um, during his adult entertainment career, and it was, you know, a big backlash, but then he went on and now he's still continuing to film. I think those are the cases that we really need to look at rather than, you know, I think it's just pure discrimination when you say, okay, that person was a sex worker, so they can't be a congresswoman now, you know, for example. Which hopefully someday we will have somebody from the industry on Capitol Hill. (laughs) I hope so, because it shouldn't be a disqualification that you were a sexual person. Um, And certainly I think that people do make mistakes. I think that we see that in the community as well. And that's one thing that NCSF works with um, kink groups on is that, you know, if somebody is new to the scene and they make assumptions based on the way society is, they think, oh, this person is naked, so they're asking for me to touch them, and they touch them. Well, that is the perfect case for education and to explain to the person, you know, what they've done right, what they've done wrong. Um, I think it's a great idea to um, require that somebody attend a consent workshop before they can come back to a party. Sometimes people will give, uh, you know, a month time out so that they can think about what they did. You know, they give them the education, but they also give them a little form of punishment to, you know, reinforce that this is just not allowed. It also reassures the other members that if something happens to them, that it will be taken seriously. So it's not like we have to ban every person for useful indiscretions or ignorance, which a lot of this uh, is on the on a more minor social level. 
So we have to keep in mind that kink groups are there to educate people so that hopefully they learn the right way to do things. And in doing that, sometimes, you know, you just give a slap on the wrist, you give the education, and then the person comes back and they're a, you know, useful member of our society. (laughs) I like that. Useful member of our society. What about morality clauses? You know, uh, in education, they always have a contract uh, and there's a morality clause in there. And basically, if you had anything to do that had the word sex in it, you don't get to play. Well, I think that that's discrimination. Um, I think that anybody who is a teacher and in other sensitive professions, like say a massage therapist, they're licensed. Um, They have to be careful because um, sometimes their involvement in kink or in uh, being non-monogamous, or being a swinger, or just going to, um, you know, nudism, uh, nudist camps, things like that, even though that's not often seen as sexual, that's often seen as a conflict. And I think that this idea of morality is the false idea of morality. Just because somebody is sexual does not mean that they're immoral. If they looked at it in terms of morality of, has this person always done things consensually? Or have they done non-consensual things? Have they committed sexual assault or sexual harassment? I think that's what's immoral, is the um, actual violation part, not the sexual part. And that's what we're, NCSF, is fighting so hard for people to understand that um, you can't discriminate against us just for being sexual beings. Certainly, if people do something that violates another person's right or body, um, that's something they should be held accountable for. But as long as you're having, you know, enthusiastic, consensual uh, relationships with other adults, you know, that should not be considered immoral in any way, even if it is not traditional. The Beast and I could be soled out on a morality clause simply for doing this show. Oh, certainly, certainly. And that's true, and that's bad. It is bad. Uh, You know, we are trying to be helpful and present educational some entertainment, and news about what's going on in sexuality across the board, across all kinks. And, you know, what you mentioned, you know, going to a nudist camp or something like that, that, you know, people should not ring in on something like that. It is something that is a personal uh, decision of the way they want to live their life. And typically there's no sex involved in it. Yeah, and that, absolutely. Nudism, they try to keep it very separate from sexuality. Yeah, there's kids there, you know. Yeah, exactly. I had to caution somebody today who wanted to volunteer for NCSF, make sure and don't access the NCSF website from your work computer because it could be held against them. And we're an advocacy organization. We have no images on our website at all. We we don't talk about, um, you know, Sex 101, BSM 101. We don't talk about how-tos at all. All we're talking about is discrimination and persecution. And yet I had to warn her because it could be held against her. It had the word sex in it. Right. And because we represent kinky and non-monogamous people, just the fact that we fight for um, kinky and non-monogamous people's rights would be seen as immoral by some people. There's something wrong with this country. Well, hopefully what's happening now with this great reckoning that we're having Um, things will move forward differently, um, where women won't be seen as lesser, um, where the boys club doesn't rule over everything. But I think it's, it's very difficult because it really is upending a power structure 
that's existed for a very long time. I mean, that's why you look at uh, Congress and, and the Senate, especially, and there's no women there because it's still seen as women are less than men, which is a very sad statement. Um, that's why men feel, you know, like they can get away with preying on women. So hopefully what this is doing is this is bringing more gender equality and um, is kind of rooting out some of these ideas that power gives you permission to take advantage. Well, Susan, I certainly hope you're right, but I have this nagging fear that we're going to see just uh, sexual repression come out of this, at least in the in the very near near term. Well, I hope it's not going to be sexual repression because really it's not that sex is a problem here. It's the fact that somebody has imposed themselves on another person. Definitely agreed, but I don't know the general public is going to see that difference. And I think the way that uh, we interact in our social settings is going to suffer uh, in the in the near term. Hopefully in the long term we'll have progress. But in the near term, I think there's going to be a lot of indecision on how we go forward. Well, we still are having to fight it, and certainly things have become more socially conservative. We didn't have to defend our events for many years. And then starting last August, suddenly our events started getting attacked again. And we've had a series of five different events around the country that have faced some sort of opposition. There's a group that used to be called the Moral Majority. Uh, which renamed itself to the National Center Against Sexual Exploitation. And they have kind of targeted our events to try to stop them. Um, and so, I mean, this is something new. We ha- you know, we haven't seen this in a while. So uh, the pendulum does keep swinging, and we do keep on having to be vigilant, which is why we need NCSF to help fight this back. And you're doing great work. Absolutely. I can't say enough for the organization. I've used the resources to find kink-aware professionals, and the site is a wealth of information. something goes wrong, uh, your staff is there. Yes, we are absolutely there. I mean, we're kinky people. We have a lot of experience in dealing with crisis, whether it's a media crisis or, you know, zoning has come and stepped in and said, oh, we're going to shut you down. We're there to help people, individuals, when they're dealing with a consent violation. We're there to help liaison between groups and individuals and to help groups deal with how to deal with consent incidents. So, yeah, we do a lot of different things. Um, And, you know, we do it on a very tiny budget. None of us are paid to do this. We're all just dedicated volunteers. So anytime you join NCSF or you donate to NCSF or you do a fundraiser, all that is going directly to helping people who are kinky and non-monogamous because we don't get grants. There is nobody helping us. We only have ourselves. And so we really do have to rely on each other to kind of keep on moving this conversation forward and um, keep fighting discrimination where we can. You know, that's kind of interesting. We don't have protections as kinky people. The gay, lesbian, transgendered have uh, a lot of protections, uh, and some of them are challenged. I'll give you that. But uh, as a kinkster, we're out there barefoot. It's so true. It's not considered a sexual orientation, although I would argue um, that for some people, especially those who are in the community, we tend to view it as a sexual orientation because it doesn't matter so much the gender of the person. 
it's the role that they present in is what turns us on or the fetish that we're both, you know, having a meeting of minds over. But until we can actually get the research done to help prove some of these things, and that's part of the problem is researchers don't want to research us because, you know, it can hurt their own employment prospects. So it's only been very recently that we see these young researchers and the and the university professors encouraging their students to, yes, this is some place that we really need to examine so that we can then help use that to change public policy, like we did with the um, American Psychiatric Association when we got them to depathologize BDSM and to state in their book, uh, the DSM-5, that, you know, kinky people are mentally healthy. These people are not people you have to take their kids away from, uh, like was happening regularly. Great work for all the things you do, and I suggest for a Christmas present, everybody put out a donation to NCSF. That would be fabulous. NCSfreedom.org, the website for that one. I want to thank you for joining us on our Christmas show, and hopefully this will be a tradition. Yes. I like this, the holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. Yes. We thank our listeners for putting up with us for another year. And we thank all of our wonderful guests that we've had in this last year. It has been a a wonderful trip for us, and uh, we're out here doing it. And just as you volunteer for NCSF, we volunteer to keep this cast out in the ether all the time. And we'll see you in 2018. Susan, thank you so much. All right, thank you. You have been listening to episode 203 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present our annual New Year's show with eight members of our Kinky crew. <laughs>